Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the official Redbird Rants podcast, episode eight. I am Michael Miles, editor of Redbird Rants, and just want to fire things off tonight, and then I'm going to be stepping away. I wanted to take a quick moment and introduce at least who our host will be tonight. We have a new host for the show tonight. I wanted to give some special recognition to him, and I want to let you know that the two guests who are joining him tonight are the first to hear this news. But it is with the greatest pleasure that I introduce for our host tonight, our newly promoted co-editor of Redbird Rants, Tito Rivera. Tito, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here tonight. Uh, Boys, I'm ready and I'm excited for tonight's show. Let's get going. And joining him tonight is Nathan Grime. Nathan, how are you? Doing pretty good, thanks. And we are really glad to welcome in for his first time on the Redbird Ranch podcast, Trevor Hoot. Trevor, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm ready to get started. All right, fellas. I'm going to hand this show over to Tito. I'm going to back myself away, and I will be your engineer and producer in the studio, Mr. Jim Jackson. So, Tito, take it away. Voice of the Cardinals on camel. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Okay, here we go, boys. <laughs> Let's get to it right away. Thanks, Dr. Miles. Uh, it's great to be here tonight, and thank you for the special recognition. Trevor, Nathan, how we doing? Pretty doing good. Well. Ready to get started. Good. So let's get a let's get a quick update on the season so far. You know, the Cardinals they just dropped two series to the Brewers and Orioles. So let's do a little bit of uh, takeaways from those two series. Let's start with the Brewers series. Nathan, what did you get from the uh, series loss to the Brewers? Um, for me, it was a little bit uh, more of the same, and some new things also cropped up. Um, when I say more of the same, I mean the Cardinals uh, continued their struggles against division teams and teams with winning records. So that is something we've seen over the first two and a half months of the season. That's been frustrating. So that continued. But uh, some some things that I saw differently on the field, of course, you've got Matt Carpenter and Dexter Fowler, one, two in the lineup now for the last two weeks or so. And they both hit hit the cover off the ball in that in that series against the Brewers and this past weekend against Baltimore. But the rest of the offense has been lagging lately. And also another aspect of the team that's been lagging that hurt the Cardinals in that series against Milwaukee has been the starting pitching, which is unfortunate because that's something the Cardinals leaned on heavily in the first month and a half or so of this season, and now that's seemed to fall by the wayside. Trevor, what are your thoughts? Well, it's along the same lines. Um, you – he talked about how Matt Carpenter got slid into the leadoff spot, and he felt really comfortable there. Uh, seemed like he's been hitting the ball really well. What I took away, though, is they were scoring a lot of runs. It seemed like they weren't getting shut out. The offense wasn't getting overpowered any by, uh, by the opponent's pitching. So that's the good news is that they're scoring. Uh, the pitching could get a little better, and it's a tough loss, especially to Milwaukee when they're number one in the division, and it's such a tight race, even with the Cardinals having a losing record currently. So it's just a – uh, they just need to figure out how to put it all together. They need to find something to spark it and get their pitching and hitting doing well at the same time. And I find it interesting, Trevor, that you mentioned that the Cardinals are now scoring runs. Let me ask you this, Trevor. Do you think that's more of a thing to do with Matt Carpenter going back to the leadoff spot, or do you think the team is starting to kind of progress a little bit in the in their offensive part of their game? Well, in any season, an offense is going to go through high points and low points, and I think that Matt Carpenter moving to the uh, leadoff spot has really been the catalyst for them as far as getting the offense going. Because Matt Carpenter was looked as as one of the you know big hitters along with Dexter Fowler, and when he's struggling, the whole lineup's not going to be able to uh, do well. They they want to follow his lead, so if he moves over there and he starts hitting well it can really spark something in the lineup. And I think that's what's been going on. I think that was a huge part in them scoring runs in both the Baltimore and Milwaukee series. 
So, Nathan, let me ask you this. Can we put to bed Matt Carpenter being the three-hitter ever again? I don't know that that debate will ever cease, and I don't know that, you know, Carpenter will always be in the leadoff spot, whether it's this season or next season. Um, But for the time being, I think the Cardinals have got something going with the offense, albeit it was against the Milwaukee team that's not known for its great pitching, and it was, you know, in in a ballpark in Baltimore where it seems like pop-ups, you know, are – at least to the warning track every single time. But, you know, my hunch is that Carpenter eventually um, he'll probably be hitting in the middle of the lineup again at some point, whether it's for an extended period of time or not remains to be seen. But I think leadoff is obviously where he's most comfortable and it's obviously where he produces the most. And the team recognizes that, Um, you know, they haven't, they've won five, five of 10 since the losing streak and they've lost two straight series, but, you know, you got to score runs to even get yourself in a ball game to begin with. And um, Carpenter in the leadoff spot has, you know, has been a contributing factor to that. But I wouldn't be surprised if down the road again we revisited the whole thing again. You know, Matheny maybe puts Carpenter in the two or three hole for, you know, a game or two. And then, you know, the debate could be sparked up again if that's the case. Right. And the way I see it is I think this is put to bed. I don't see Matt Carpenter being in any other position in the lineup but the leadoff spot. That's where he produces. As you said, Nathan, he feels the most comfortable there. And, you know, Trevor, you were saying it yourself. You know, the offense is doing better with Matt Carpenter in the leadoff spot. They seem to be connecting uh, some pieces together. I mean, uh, we'll get to this in a little bit, but Dexter Fowler, I mean, he's kind of turned into a monster ever since moving to the second hole, and I kind of want to get your guys' opinion on whether that is Matt Carpenter's doing, but we'll talk about that a little later on. What I took away from the Brewers series, though, is that the Cardinals failed to gain ground in the standings. That's the most important thing to me. The offense, yeah, that's great, but – at the end of the day, they got to win the games. And it came down to pitching. And for a team that has had great starting pitching up until very recently, it was kind of a shock to see that the Cardinals couldn't really put together good starts in a row. You know, Carlos Martinez, you know, that's almost a given at this point. But the rest of them have been kind of disappointing in this middle part of June. What were your guys' takeaways from the rotation? Well, it is good to see Carlos Martinez finally asserting himself above the top of the staff, but at the same time, you know, he stands out even more because of the struggles of the other pitchers. Um, you know, I I wasn't ready to say Adam Wainwright was back after his four good starts. I was certainly happy to see him pitching well, um, and hindsight is twenty twenty. but, you know, I just wasn't sure that he could keep that string of success going for the rest of the season, and unfortunately, you know, his last handful of starts have just reflected – um, how he's been, how he started the season in April and his frustrating season last year as well. Um, and then after Wainwright, Leak and Lynn have cooled down a little bit. And Michael Walker, this is a guy with a question mark, um, you know, next to his name from spring training. He answered some questions in April when he pitched well, but it, this season, as he has in the last couple seasons, it seems like he's kind of wearing down, not going deeper into games as the summer months begin. So that'll be something to also keep an eye on. Trevor, what about you? And I I think that the focus really needs to be on Carlos Martinez right now because he's the one that's producing. Um, all the other pitchers in the rotation, they've really proven that they can produce. They were doing it earlier in the year. And I keep saying this because it, it's really true. If you pay attention to a season, it's one of the most frustrating parts about baseball. It goes in and out, even for pitchers, unless you're a dominant pitcher like, like Clayton Kershaw. He never seems to have an off night. But as far as uh, – as far as the rest of the rotation, I think it'll swing back around here really soon, and I think the hitting will keep up as long as they can uh, continue to produce. So too worried about the pitching. I, I think it'll turn around, especially with Carlos Martinez leading the staff and, and really uh, resurging as the ace of the Cardinals. Okay, boys, let's switch over to the Orioles series. You know, the Cardinals, again, lost that series. And what could be described as a home run derby in the All-Star game, but put that in this series, I mean, it was just an offensive juggernaut. Whoever was going to score the most runs was going to prevail, um, except for that Carlos Martinez start. But, again, given the way he's been pitching, he's been just flat-out dominant. 
what did you guys take away from the Orioles series that you didn't necessarily see in the Brewers series? Nathan? Um, well, for me, it was Dexter Fowler having his best three-game series of the entire season. Uh, as we mentioned, um, Fowler's just been turning it up a lot recently, but in this Orioles series especially, you know, with the home runs, um, number two in the lineup seems like a good spot for him, especially with Carpenter getting on base. Uh, so Fowler can be more of a run producer than a table setter. Um, and, you know, up and down the up and down the lineup, yes, they scored some runs. It was good to see Paul DeYoung also get in on the um, offensive action with being a run producer even at the bottom of the lineup, you know, batting ninth. But, you know, if you're not going to win ball games no matter how many runs you score if you can't, you know, keep runs off the board as well. So I think the pitching struggles unfortunately overshadowed the offensive surge. And then, of course, the ballpark factor is something to keep in mind. Um, I think the Cardinals offense is trending up. This is something we've seen, you know, for an extended period of time besides just the three games in Baltimore. But it'll be something to monitor, you know, moving forward, especially as the Cardinals play in maybe some more hitter, some more pitcher-friendly parks. Uh, Bush Stadium is known to be a pitcher-friendly park, of course. And also against some teams with more quality pitching staff than Baltimore. Yeah, and it's and it's funny that you mentioned again the the Camden Yards. In my June article, looking at the schedule, I even said it myself. When you go into Baltimore, uh, you got to be careful with their right-handed hitters because they can just pull the ball to left and center. I mean, that is a hitter's haven. I won't call it Coors Field, but I mean, it sure acted like it this weekend. Trevor, what did you take away from the Orioles series? The thing I really took away was that it, it solidified what I already thought was going on. The Cardinals come out seem to come out every series, game one, and they seem to have just a ton of energy. They're able to, you know, their, their pitchers are able to uh, produce what they need to, and the hitters come out. They won the first game of these last two series, and then they lost the rest of them. So it, it seems like they have a lot of energy at the beginning. They win one, and then they settle back instead of continuing to attack. But the thing is, between both these series, there were 46 runs scored by the Cardinals, and they gave up 46. So obviously there's something wrong there. Sometimes the ball goes the wrong way. But to have a run differential of zero is kind of uh, over two series seems like a, a little odd to me. So I, it, it's really tough to point out what needs to happen. We've talked about the pitching, um, and they did give up a lot of runs against Baltimore. But it just seems like they need to find that energy from game one and keep pushing that through the rest of the series. And I like how you say that, you know, finding that energy, because I also wrote a recent article addressing John Moselleck's comments about waiting four to six weeks, four to six weeks to, you know, change the team, do something for the team. And what I said was that the Cardinals right now just lack urgency. There's no sense of we need to win because our season's on the line. And I don't know if you guys get that feeling, but I kind of sense that's where you're going with it, Trevor, right? Yeah, a little bit. And it's somewhat justified if if you really look at it, because right now they're sitting at 31 and 37. They're only five and a half games back from, from first place in the NL Central. They're not playing in a tough division. It doesn't really seem like there's something pushing them to, to get there. And this was, you got to remember, the preseason, this was a lineup that was they were saying was built to compete with the Cubs. And I, I wrote this in, in one of my articles. The Cubs and Cardinals right now are competing to see who can finish closest to 500 is what it seems like. So they, there's really nothing pushing them because they're five and a half games back. It doesn't look like they're, you know, they need a huge push to get to the wild card because they're 12 games out of that. But I think that if the race in the NL Central just gets a little closer, a little farther away even, it'll spark something in them. And now that can bring the energy that they think they've been lacking. Nathan, you and I were on the podcast episode where uh, Vogie kind of asked us, you know, you know, is the Central Division that competitive? And if, you know, whether or not the Cardinals should be, you know, kind of worried about it or not. And I said, yes. Are you, what did you say? I can't remember. You know, I was on board with that. I I thought the Central Division is competitive in the sense that you've got all five teams, you know, grouped fairly close together. Of course, the Reds have now lost nine in a row, so they're a little further back than they were, you know, just a week ago. But it is competitive in that sense that, you know, no team has, you know, broken from the pack and no team has really, you know, made, made separation from second and third place teams or even from that 500 mark, like Trevor said. Um, competitive in the sense of outside of the division, 
you know, not so much. You know, the Central Division does not, you know, boast the premier teams in the National League. You know, you've got the National League West with three teams that would be in first place, I think, in at least half of the divisions in baseball, you know, right now. So the Central is, you know, still up for grabs, and the Cardinals are only five and a half out. But what you said about urgency, I think, is a point well taken because the Cardinals are not used to having to have this kind of back-against-the-wall sense of urgency in the month of June. You know, we saw in the years like 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, um, even, you know, even last year a little bit, where the Cardinals were a good team in the month of September because they had, you know, they had the division or the wild card right in front of them. They knew what they had to do. And they've historically been a good team in the month of September, winning ball games, you know, down to the wire, you know, against the clock, if you will. Whereas it's hard to have that mentality in the month of June where you, when you still have, you know, 100 or so games left on the schedule. Um, obviously the players and the managers and, you know, the entire organization knows that these games count for just as much as they do in September. But, you know, it is, it is perhaps different in a sense to have a sense of urgency in June, you know, as opposed to towards the end of the year. I just wonder how much of, how much of that is in the back of the minds of the Cardinals players, you know, whether they're, they have this feeling that, you know, we've got to make up ground now when we're playing the Brewers in June, as opposed to, when you have a bunch of division games in September. So I'm glad we're having this conversation because I just pulled up the wild card standings for the National League, and you've got the Arizona Diamondbacks and Los Angeles Dodgers both at 44 and 26, and that's extremely impressive. And the Rockies are just a, you know, a game ahead of them. The Cubs sit at 34 and 34. Trevor, how many games back do you think they are of that? What do you? How, how many games are the Cardinals back of what? How many? How many games do you think the Cardinals are back of those of those two teams now? Uh, well, I, I mean, I looked earlier and and I know that they're twelve games out of wild card contention right now. Um, and I, I just want to go back to something you were saying about the, the NL Central division since I was sure. in that original podcast. I don't. I mean, it, it's been a very confusing division for me. I mean, I take the Brewers to to finish dead last in the, in the central and they're in first right now. So it's been kind of tough to, it's kind of tough to imagine it being a competitive division around. So I'm not, I'm not that um, surprised to see the NL central lacking so much in the wild card right now, because the other divisions are just so much stronger. You look at the West, they're dominating it right now. So mm-hmm. it just seems, it just seems to be that this, the NL central is not going to have a playoff team except for the team that wins the division. I think that that's going to be huge. And that's why the Cardinals, it's important that they're, you know, only five and a half out of first place. They're three and a half behind the Cubs right now for second. So they need to look at it that way, I think. And, and that'll go back to the energy we talked about earlier in the back against the wall ceiling. Right. And that's why I brought up the wild card standings, because if you were to tell me that you're 12 games back out of the wild card, the only way you're going to get into the, into the playoffs is winning your division. Shouldn't that create the urgency? Right. You would think so. Right. That theoretically should then be a better situation for your club as well, because you're playing so many games against, you know, your teams in the division. So it's make up ground. Right. And not only that, you win the division, you don't have to play in the wild card game either. Right. So, I mean, it, to me, it's, there is this lack of urgency, and I don't see the Cardinals getting out of this funk anytime soon, and that's just really, really disappointing for me. So quickly, let's go ahead and let's do kind of a roundtable. Trevor, what kind of percentage what, – what, what do you give the Cardinals chance in making the postseason this year? Well, like I said, it's not going to happen through the wild card. I just don't see any you – know, I don't see any central team making that jump. I mean, they're only five and a half games back. I think it depends on what happens come trade deadline time, which is something we're going to talk about a little later. But uh, if I had to ballpark a number right now, I think it's anywhere between uh, 60 to 70. I'm actually very confident that they'll put it together with or without the, uh, the deadline moves. Okay, Nathan? Um, I'm on board with Trevor as far as the wild card goes. I don't think there's much of any chance that the Cardinals – or any central team make it as a wild card. Um, I'm going to be more pessimistic. I'm going to say 20 to 30% chance. Cause I think, you know, while the Cardinals are playing frustrating and we're expecting them to get better, 
just imagine how the Cubs feel. I mean, they have an objectively better roster. They won the World Series last year. I think they're going to get a lot better, too. And the Brewers, at this point in the season, we've got to take them seriously as a first-place team. You know, how long they'll stick around remains to be seen. But, you know, they're in first place, you know, three weeks out from the All-Star break. So the Brewers are, you know, a contender as well for the division. I'm going to go ahead and agree with Trevor here. I think the Cardinals making the postseason lies within the 60-70% range. I think a lot of Cardinals fans right now feel more like what Nathan described in the 20%, probably 0% chance because there's a lot of negativity going on on Cardinals Twitter. But I still think the Cardinals are a better team than the Brewers, and I still am going to jump on that horse and say – The Brewers are outplaying their expectations. There's no doubt about it. Now, whether they slow down or not, that's going to be completely up to them. But the Cardinals need to take care of their own business. And that's the most frustrating part for me is you know what kind of position you are in right now in the standings. You've got to take care of your business. And they seem to just not necessarily want to do it, but they just can't do it right now. But – Everybody hold your thoughts. We're going to take a quick break. Thanks for listening to the official Redbird Rants podcast, episode eight. Stick with us. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the official Redbird Rants podcast, episode eight. My name is Tito Rivera. I'm joined by Trevor and Nathan. Guys, it's been a good episode so far. I'm I'm glad we're having this great discussion, but I do want to move on to a really, really pressing topic that is going to be hindering on whether the Cardinals can find a winning streak, and that's the potential for roster moves and trade deadline moves. I want to start with the Cardinals as buyers. A couple days ago, we've written some pieces on Red River Brands, you should check them out, about J.D. Martinez and Avisel Garcia, J.D. Martinez plays for the Detroit Tigers, and Avisel Garcia plays for the Chicago White Sox. Guys, they're theoretically two different players. One is power, and one is average. So I found it interesting that the Cardinals are linked to their names. What about you guys? Personally, I I love the fact that they're linked to J.D. Martinez. Um, I could give or take with Avisel Garcia. Um, I mean, J.D. Martinez has been hitting the ball hard. I've seen a lot of Tigers games this year. And it's he's come off the DL. I mean, he, you got to remember, he missed uh, the first part of the season because he was hurt. And he's come back. He already has 11 home runs. And he's hitting two ninety nine since coming off the DL. So, if I mean, I'm assuming he's the power guy you were talking about. Um, but he's also not – his average isn't that bad either. He's only played 34 games. So, it's really um, – I think that, you know, a lot of talk when it comes to Cardinals as buyers is one bat's not going to fix the lineup, one bat's not going to fix the lineup. But if you look at a guy like J.D. Martinez, you slide him into that three-hole, that one would eliminate the conversation of Matt Carpenter moving back there altogether, you would think. And you see what Matt Carpenter did just by moving um, to the leadoff and and getting his bat going. If you bring in J.D. Martinez as bat, then – what can that do for the lineup? You have to wonder because he's been hitting the ball hard. He hits the ball in the screws almost every time he swings, it seems like. So he's a very interesting prospect, and I think that even though he's only got a one-year contract, it'd be somewhat of a rental deal unless the Cardinals can re-sign him. Um, I think that it would be well worth it in the end if they're going to shoot for a division win. Nathan, what do you make of the news of Avisel Garcia being linked to the Cardinals? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked me about Garcia because um, I'll actually take the opposing view. I'd rather see the Cardinals go for Abasail Garcia than J.D. Martinez if they are going for a bat feed. Um, They are, you know, I think they actually profile similarly. They both have some pop. They both hit for average. Garcia is hitting, you know, in the 330s, I think. Um, He's Mm -hmm. a younger player. He's, He's still on his, you know, on his rookie contract as far as arbitration goes, meaning he can't be a free agent until the end of the 2019 season, I think. Um, and I, I, that, that appeals more to me. You know, I think J.D. Martinez is, is a good player. Um, batting third in the Cardinals lineup uh, would, you know, fill that hole, of course. But as Trevor mentioned, he's a, you know, a free agent after this year, 30 years old. That's the prime of his career. And that, that would cost a lot. You know, 
for the Cardinals to trade for him. And then if they wanted to resign him, that cost that would cost a lot as well. Um, so I'd rather see them go after Garcia. I like. I haven't seen too much of him. I'm just kind of reading his profile, watching some video, looking at the statistics. Um, I like what he could, you know, what he could bring to the Cardinals team offensively. Yeah, and I'm kind of I'm going to split the difference here. I can go whichever player the Cardinals want in this scenario. I think Trevor brings up a good point that adding uh, J.D. Martinez kind of bat to this lineup would definitely solidify the power. He's got the power. I mean, I've been watching J.D. Martinez for a couple of years now through fantasy baseball, and that's that kind of player, you know, is rare. And he's he's relatively young. I think he he's uh, 28, 29. Um, but he's got some good years still left in him, and he would project probably as your right fielder. So that would be a, a little interesting to see what the Cardinals would do. My assumption is that they would move Stephen Piscotty over to left field unless, you know, J.D. Martinez is okay with playing uh, in left field. Now, Garcia, on the other hand, as Nathan mentioned, has occasional pop, but he's more of an average, probably a doubles kind of guy, gap to gap. And the way I see him is caution, because he hasn't really played that many full seasons. This will be his third full season. And prior to that, in 2015, he only batted 257. In 16, he batted 245. And all of a sudden, he's now batting 332. And I'm not saying that it's a it's a crazy jump, but let's be honest, that's a pretty big jump. You're talking about yep. a full 100 points, and that is a little concerning to me. He's got 10 home runs, and his highest is is uh, 13 in a season, so he's on pace to hit about 24-ish home runs right now. So, if the Cardinals are gonna go after Garcia, it's going to cost because he's under team control for a really long time, um, at least for the next two or three years. My, my question to you guys, though, is because Garcia plays on the Chicago White Sox, would there be a scenario or could there be a scenario where the Cardinals get both Avisel Garcia and Jose Quintana? Trevor, what do you think? Uh, I I don't see that as happening. I think it's an interesting uh, interesting thought. It's not something I really thought of before, but I don't see it happening purely because of this. Um, if you see what the White Sox did over the off season and and how well they were uh, able to maneuver their trades to stack up their prospects, that's a scary thought to me. And I think that uh, per history, the, the Cardinals front office they're just going to be very cautious about doing trades like that. So especially with the White Sox, who seem to be going for a younger core right now, guys they can develop in the minors, and they've been doing it well, I think that's why they won't be able to get both if they're even able to get one, just because of the caution, uh, the history of caution that, that, that goes along with the Cardinals and, and the price tag that the White Sox have been looking for in their trades recently. Well, would it help if I told you, though, that Quintana isn't really the same pitcher that we saw last year? I mean, everybody was very, very high on him but he hasn't been quite the pitcher that we all expected him to be. Does that change your mind at all? Uh, I don't really think it does. I think a lot of his expectations came because Chris Sale left. You know, it seems like he got boosted to the ace role, so people started thinking of him as an ace when he really is just – he's a great great number two, I think. Um, and, you know, he might not be having his best season, but it's another one of those based on history that I think that they would they would go more for that price tag – and they might try to get a little bit higher prospects just because Quinton has a history of being pretty good. Okay, so Nathan, what are your thoughts on maybe getting Quintana and Garcia in the same trade? And then as a follow-up question, Trevor just mentioned that he's a great number two. Isn't that what the Cardinals probably need right now? Um, so I'll answer the second part of that question. You know, if they were in a playoff series, I would say, yes, they do need a number two because you've got Carlos Martinez. You're confident that that guy can start a game one, you know, in any stadium, on any mound, in any series against any team. But then after that, who are you going to go with? You know, I 
probably say Lance Lynn at this point, but Wainwright is, you know, the de facto number two as far as just order is concerned this season. But uh, given the struggles of the two through five in the rotation, you don't really have a number two. So, yes, that's a fair point, but we're talking regular season baseball for the time being. You know, you got to win regular season games before you can think about the playoffs. And I think the Cardinals have, you know, they've got starting pitchers in the minor leagues that I think they'd be confident in confident in to, you know, step into the rotation if need be. You know, we saw Marco Gonzalez make a spot start in the Brewers series. Um, you know, didn't didn't do that well. He was he was getting hit hard, um, didn't did not last long. But that that's not to say the Cardinals don't aren't still high on him. And then you've got Luke Weaver, you know, in triple A, John Gant in triple A, Jack Flaherty in triple A, in double A you've got Dakota Hudson, Sandy Alcantara um, Austin Gomber. So the names are there. And, you know, if you were to make a trade for a guy like Garcia, who is having a career year, I thought that was a good point you brought up, um, because that could maybe inflate his value at the trade deadline because of the numbers he's, you know, been able to put up this year in comparison to previous years. Um, you know, it would be a pretty lucrative a lucrative deal. So the Cardinals would have to part with multiple prospects, you know, just to land Garcia. And then you throw Quintana's name in there as well. Then you're talking about the Cardinals, you know, departing with some of those pitching prospects that I just mentioned. You know, and yes, you don't know what those pitching prospects could do in a major league rotation because we haven't seen them yet. But what Trevor said about the Cardinals front office, you know, being hesitant, being careful, um, you know, historically, you know, the pattern is there. And I don't see the Cardinals necessarily, you know, making a blockbuster deal for, you know, two, you know, above average major league players. Um, only to part with a boatload of prospects who, you know, haven't reached their potential yet. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, that you, you, so you do agree with me that the Cardinals, if in a playoff scenario, need a starting pitcher. Yeah. If, if we're talking about playoffs, then yes, but you know, the trade deadline is, you know, to make a playoff push, the trade deadline is for, you know, the months of August and September before the playoffs. So, you know, Yes, in a way, in a sense, but in another sense, you know, you've got to ba- you've got to balance the, the the cost and consider, you know, the bigger picture than just the playoff series, just that isolated scenario. And that's fair, because I recently, you know, wrote an article saying that the Cardinals needed to look at potentially getting a starting pitcher if they're going to take a shot at the playoffs. And I caught some flack on it on Facebook and on Twitter because. Everybody wants to talk about the Cardinals pitching prospects, and granted, yes, there are some good ones. Jack Flaherty is probably the most recognized at this point, Luke Weaver following him, um, and, Marcos Gonzalez, and Marco Gonzalez as yeah. well. And then we all forget and, Alex Reyes, of course, because he's you know, he'll be right. back next year. Right, but he's also coming back from Tommy John, so he reminds me a little bit of Lance Lynn um, in a way with his injury. But – that brings me to another question about Michael Waka, because in that same starting rotation piece where I, you know, I'm saying, hey, you know, he's not doing that well. I mean, since May 19th, he's had an 8.86 ERA in his starts. The Cardinals, you know, they're going to make a push. They need to get a starting pitcher. But if what you guys are saying if I'm, I'm going to take it, I'm going to take your word for what you guys are saying, and the Cardinals front office won't deal it. Is that not saying that the Cardinals will be sellers? I, I think it it increases the probability, but also you've got to talk about, you know, if you're going to deal for a starting pitcher to make a push, you've got to talk about the end game. You know, it's just making the playoffs enough. It's just you know making a division series you know, enough. Is, is that going to satisfy you? If you have Jose Quintana starting game two of the National League Division Series only to lose that series, will you have said that was a deal well worth it? I don't think so. I think the Cardinals, you know, when you talk about making a push, they're looking to win a World Series. You know, they've had some recent success in the postseason, but they haven't won a World Series since 2011. <laughs> that makes me sound like a spoiled fan, you know, saying, you know, oh, we haven't won a World Series for, you know, a whole You're spoiled, six, six years. You know, I am, but I'm glad I am. Uh, but, you know, you've got to consider, you know, how far is a starting pitcher going to get you? So, so yes, a starting pitcher would increase the chances, perhaps, of the Cardinals making the playoffs, but will it increase the chances of the Cardinals being able to win the World Series? I think that's where a little bit of that apprehension comes from. Because if you're going to lose in round one of the playoffs, will it have been worth, you know, dealing a Jack Flaherty or a, a Luke Weaver or somebody like that? 
you know, a position player as well, a Harrison Bader, Magnera Sierra, you know, just to make the playoffs and lose that game. Or if you're, you know, if you're six games under 500 at this point, if that doesn't improve quickly, yes, toward the deadline, you're going to have to talk about the Cardinals being sellers. Because not only then will they be able to keep on to these prospects they have right now, but they'll perhaps be able to deal some major league pieces, retool that farm system even more, and then they'll be in better position to not just make the playoffs, but to make a World Series run, you know, in the coming years. So, Trevor, let's let's actually hit on that. Let's hit on that a little bit more. I'm done beating the horse of getting the cards a second guy. You guys aren't agreeing with me, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna step away from that. <laughs> the Cardinals as sellers is a really really intriguing prospect, and I think a lot of St. Louis is kind of grappling with this idea that the Cardinals won't make it to the postseason for a second consecutive year and that they actually might be sellers. Names on the list include Lance Lynn, Trevor Rosenthal, Sung Juan Oh. What are your thoughts on those trade chips? Are those guys trade chips? Uh, personally, I think that anybody on the major league roster can be a, tr- a trade chip. I know that sounds weird when you when you get you know reach names like Carlos Martinez or or Matt Carpenter. For those guys have you know higher prices, just maybe if somebody over offers for them, you're not going to say no in that situation most likely. But I think that anybody can really be a trade chip. But my my problem with that is who are you selling for? Because the Cardinals uh, the Cardinals farm system is is excellent. I mean, we've talked about a ton of guys. We're leaving out guys like Delvin Perez, Elizier Alvarez, um, and, you know, pitchers who are, who are still young, like Junior Fernandez. And there's even uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon in, the, in AAA, who's, who's kind of a low-key prospect, who's 2-0 with a 2-1-7 ERA through his first six starts at AAA. So it's a really rich farm system already. So it, it wouldn't make sense to me to sell to try to get more into it and kind of overpopulate it unless you're trying to rebuild and then possibly sell them. But that seems just, you know, not that's a very rare thing to happen. So it, like I said, anybody can be a trade chip. I don't see anybody as off limits depending on what their value is, but I, it's a cautionary tale of, of what are you trying to do with it. Right. So let me ask you this follow-up question. And you mentioned Carlos Martinez though. I have a hard time believing that the Cardinals would ever try and trade him. And I understand that, you know, if the price is right, yeah, you might do it, but I don't, I'm not so sure the Cardinals would. What makes you think that the Cardinals would actually ever deal Carlos Martinez? Uh, well, you mentioned try to sell him. I don't think they would try to sell him. I think that if, if for some odd reason some team looks at him and says that's what we need and they're willing to overoffer a ton, I'm not saying just a small overoffer, like this is a clear, sure. you know, the Cardinals are going to win then I think that they, they talk about it, they think about it, and that's the only scenario when it would happen. It's, that's like the most doubtful thing that I think I've ever said, but I still believe that if, <laughs> if, they're, offered, you know, if they're offered way too much and it's a ridiculous offer, then they can't just ignore it. I mean, they would have to be MLB-ready prospects. There's no other way. Yeah. You'd have to, you would, it would have to be at least two MLB-ready pitchers and throw in a position player that is MLB and probably even a little bit more. But there's no way – I personally don't think the Cardinals would ever, you know, sell. It, it's a very, very small, like probably less than 1% possibility, but it's still oh, a possibility, so I felt, that. It, <laughs> I felt it. I felt it worth talking about. Sure. No, yeah, no, I agree. Cause, but but that, brings, that brings it to an interesting point because you look at the major league roster outside of the names that I mentioned – Nathan, you know, you and I have talked about Matt Carpenter's value on the team, but where is his value in a in a possible trade chip? I think it's a little bit similar to the discussion you guys just said about Carlos Martinez, whereas the Cardinals probably won't be actively shopping Matt Carpenter if they are indeed sellers at the tr- at the trade deadline, but Carpenter could be a guy that, you know, if a team comes knocking, you know, with a pretty with a pretty hefty offer of, of you know prospects, a mix of maybe MLB ready prospects or you know double double A triple A guy that the Cardinals feel confident that they could develop, then yeah, the Cardinals you know would 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 be would have to entertain that offer. You know, you're not going to just you know hang up the phone if you've got 
a good offer. And I think that's the discussion we had, you know, on a previous podcast about Matt Carpenter. Um, as far as retooling re- the farm system goes, I don't think you can ever really have too much talent in that farm system because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know which guys are going to make it to the show, which guys have longevity at the major league level. Um, and I think that's, that's the model that the Chicago Cubs used. You know, they, they overstocked that farm system with position players, if you will. Um, they had the guys that made the major league club that were their pillars, you know, at, at the major league level. And then they used the abundance of prospects to deal for guys like Aroldis Chapman last season at the deadline or Wade Davis in the off season. Um, and I think that's not a bad model to solidify your major league roster. And it paid off for the Cubs because they won the World Series last season. Yeah, I, I can kind of see it that way. I'd also, I kind of also thought that, you know, if you restock your lineup or, I'm sorry, your lineup, your prospects, you know, what's to say that the Cardinals won't turn that into somebody at the major league level right now, you know, you know, God willing, a Mike Trout <laughs> uh, kind of a player, you know, I mean, that's also a possibility. But mm-hmm. before we move on, we got to take another quick break. You're listening to the official Redbird Rants podcast, episode eight. Stick with us and we'll be back. Okay, guys, welcome back to the official Redbird Red Lance podcast, episode eight. My name is Tito Rivera. I'm joined by Nathan. Nathan, quickly shout out your Twitter account. All right, it is at Nate Grime, N-A-T-E-G-R-I-M-E. Go ahead and give Nate a quick follow on Twitter. He's got some great insight. Trevor, what about you? Uh, at thooth29, T-H-O-O-T-H-2-9. Go ahead and give Trevor a quick follow as well. He's also got some great insight. They've both got great articles going up on Redbird Branch right now. Again, my name is Tito. My Twitter handle is at Triveratops. That's T-R-I-V-E-R-A-T-O-P-S. Kind of a play on a word. But... Let's continue the conversation. We've had a great episode so far, so if you've tuned in, thank you so much. Let's go ahead and talk about the current trends of the St. Louis Cardinals and where they're headed. Let's start with who's hot and who's not. Trevor, who's the hottest who's the hottest St. Louis Cardinal player right now on the on the field? Well, it's impossible to ignore. We've been talking about it the whole time. Uh, Carlos Martinez is, the, is a clear answer to me. I mean, he's finally, he, he started off struggling. He's finally figured it out. Um, he just posted back-to-back outings uh, where he gave up less than two earned runs for the first time all season. And in his last two outings, including his first career complete game shutout, he had 15 innings giving up one earned run and 21 strikeouts. I don't, I mean, that's just the numbers that we were expecting all year. And it looks like whatever was ailing him earlier in the year, he finally got put together and he finally picked up. So it's good to see him hot. Or uh, Nathan, what about you? Um, I'll go with the two guys at the top of the lineup, Matt Carpenter and Dexter Fowler. Any particular reason besides what we've mentioned? Well, I think one, one thing maybe to note is that, you know, now that they're finally producing at this rate, um, it, it does stand in contrast to the struggling, you know, start they had at the season. We were hoping that they would be hitting like this all year. But now that they're finally, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of been since June began that they're, they've finally been, you know, finding their stroke and they've got those spots in the lineup that have seemed to work for them. You know, it perhaps stands out even a little bit more given the early season struggles. Right. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with Nathan here and say Dexter Fowler is probably – the hottest Cardinal right now. And the only reason why I don't say Carlos Martinez is because you kind of alluded it to yourself, uh, yourself, Trevor, is that this is what we expected. And I'm not saying that, you know, he's not dominating. What I'm saying is, is that that's what he should have been doing this entire time. And I get that pitchers go through ups and downs, like you mentioned, Trevor, baseball's an in and out game, but that's what you expected. And granted, Dexter Fowler, on the other hand, you know, we expected some good things out of here, but uh, out of him. But let me put it to you guys this way: last eight games for Dexter Fowler, he's batting .464, five home runs, and has 14 RBI. 
he's leading the team in home runs with 13. And he's also, you know, I think about four or five RBI off the team lead as well as the two hitter who was supposed to be your leadoff hitter. That's impressive to me, and it's a, it's a good sign of things to come for Dexter Fowler and the St. Louis Cardinals. So let's turn it over to who's not, who is not, uh, Nathan, who's not, who's not cutting it for you? Um, well, there's, I think there's a variety of different avenues you could perhaps take. Um, I think the bullpen as a whole kind of is you know, still underwhelming, and that's kind of been a season-long narrative. Um, but I'll go with some starting pitchers. I think Mike Leak is, you know, he's obviously cooled off. Michael Waka, as we discussed, is also cooled off. Um, the offense, besides Carpenter and Fowler, um, you know, there's no one that really stands out to you too much. Jed Jerko is been on a little bit of a cold spell as well. So there's, you know, there's a lot of different names you could drop um, to answer that question. I kind of just went through all, all the different facets of the, of the uh, roster, I suppose. But um, you're looking for more than just, you know, three guys to stand out. And that's when you'll start winning more ball games. You know, they're going to need more than just Carlos Martinez because he's only pitching every fifth day. They're going to need more than just your one and two spots in the lineup. They're going to need, you know, the middle of that lineup to start to start turning it up a notch. Trevor, what do you think? Well, he was just mentioned, um, and it's actually who I, I wrote my or I wrote an article about just today. Jed Jerko has really cooled off. He started off really hot, and uh, it's really been his new approach. One of my biggest problems with him coming into the year was that he would just pull the ball, try to hit a home run, and he had he had a decent year last year where a third of his hits were home runs, and that's just an impossible pace. Um, this year he came with a different approach early in the season and he was using all fields. So his batting average was higher, but it's just not uh, where it was before. And he's kind of cooled off. I'm sure he'll pick it back up again. He he tends to be a a pretty streaky hitter, but right now he's just not, he's not cutting it right now. Right. And I think, I'm sorry, go ahead, Nathan. I was just going to say, and his struggles are magnified even more because he has been really the only, the only good option for the Cardinals at cleanup. So that's, that's, that goes to when you talk about the middle of the Cardinals lineup failing to produce um, not only cleanup, but they haven't really had a very solid three-hitter all year, especially now that Carpenter's in the one spot. You're going to see a lot of different guys get an opportunity to hit third. We saw Piscotti, we saw Famine, we saw Martinez all hitting in that three spot in the last two series. Well, to add to that, yeah, too, I, um, yeah. you, talk about him, you talk about him being in the four-hole – his approach last year was more of a, a clean-up hole hitter where he would try to pull the ball, right. put the ball in the air, and try to hit it out. This year he's hitting more like a guy who's trying to hit somewhere else in the lineup. And that's an, uh, inter- that's an interesting point. Uh, I, I, I'm not a big Jed Jerko fan, and you mentioned a really nice stat, that uh, uh, Trevor, that hit a third of his hits last year were home runs. And I'm pretty sure he had something somewhere around like 96 hits 30 home runs. That's that is an impossible pace, and he's not necessarily my player who's not doing as well, um, but he but he really isn't. He's just not performing at the same level that he was. My player though, who's not doing well, is Mike Leap. Is that more due to the Cardinals not scoring? Maybe, but he's also not pitching that well. He was my April MVP. I mean, he had a great month of April. He had a pretty decent May, but in June, he just really hasn't done that well. He's given up quite a few earned runs. He had a a kind of a shaky start against the Cubs and gave up that grand slam. He's definitely regressed, and I wonder if it's because he's getting a little tired. Maybe some fatigue is setting in. But he's the guy that I'm looking to and saying, man, you were the you were doing great. You're you know consideration for NL Cy Young, and all of a sudden there's no more talk of that. So that's the that's the player I kind of look at. Let me ask you guys this because I found this very interesting when thinking about who's hot, and I said Dexter Fowler with the way he's hitting. Could we see Dexter Fowler in the three-hole, Trevor? Uh, If you do, it's not going to be for a while because we've been talking this whole podcast about how great Carpenter is at one 
and Fowler is at, at two. So I don't think that he would move. If he does move there, it's a possibility. I don't think it's going to be for a while. Um, to find the real three-hitter, you might want to try Jerko there. We talked about his new approach. I mean, he's um, – I'm just going to throw numbers out that um, last year he pulled the ball. He put, he took the ball to his pole field about 45% of the time. He's down to 38 now. So he's evened out where he's where he's hitting. I keep mentioning that. It's really important because he's not – he's no longer a you-can-pretty-much-play-him-here kind of guy. So I think that maybe you can plug him in the three-hole and try him there for a while. But until the lineup cools off, you're not going to see Dexter Fowler there. Nathan, give me a little bit of hope. What do you think? Well, I have seen that idea floated around a little bit recently. I don't think it's a bad idea. Um, I think when we see Carpenter go from third to first and he produces so much better first, you're, you're kind of hesitant to say, well, you've you got to keep Carpenter first. But we've seen Fowler produce in the one in the leadoff spot and even better now in the two-hole. I don't know that it would you know, make much of a difference for Fowler if he was hitting third. The only question then would be, could you, got, could you get someone hitting second then that could get on base enough that your one, two, three, then Carpenter, whoever's hitting second, and Fowler is a lethal combination at the top of that lineup. Um, and this whole, this whole conversation is a little bit ironic because when the season began, we thought that one, two, three for the Cardinals was going to be you know, absolutely unstoppable with Fowler leading off, Alexis Diaz hitting second, and Carpenter hitting third. That, of course, didn't turn out, but it seems like the Cardinals are just one good hitter away from having a pretty solid one, two, three in the lineup with Carpenter and Fowler in, you know, two of those, two of those three spots. Um, the discussion about the three-hole hitter, I'll kind of add my own little opinion. Before he went on the disabled list, I thought Colton Wong could actually, you know, maybe even be a potential three-hitter for the Cardinals. Obviously, he's not a power guy. He only has one home run this year, but he's been hitting the ball very well. He's, he has a lot of extra base hits, you know, with his doubles. His batting average is above 300. You'd like to see that. His walk rate is at a career high. His strikeout rate is at a career low. And his on-base percentage is almost 400. So you just take those numbers alone and you take his, you know, matured approach this season, and I think that would, you know, be a, be a good option for the Cardinals in the middle of the lineup. The only thing you'd then have to worry about is would Wong put pressure on himself because he's been hitting eighth all year? Would he put, you know, even more pressure on himself to be a three-type hitter and then would he regress? We won't know. I don't think Colton Wong will be hitting third for the Cardinals this season. But, you know, if you're looking for a spark and if you're looking at numbers, that's, you know, been one of the best Cardinals hitters all year. What about entertaining the idea, though, that Wong could actually hit second and you'd have a top three order of Matt Carpenter, Colton Wong, and Dexter Fowler, though? I mean, that's certainly an opportunity Because as Mm -hmm. you mentioned, Colton Wong is hitting for extra bases. And with a guy like Carpenter that tends to get on base quite a bit out of the leadoff spot, you're looking at a pretty good one-two punch and follow that up with Dexter Fowler, who's tearing the cover off the ball right now. That is a pretty solid one-two-three. Now, that is obviously going to hinge on Dexter Fowler being, you know, a good three-hitter. But let let me throw out these numbers for you guys. This year, batting out of the leadoff spot, Dexter Fowler was batting 216. Out of the second, out of the two hole, he's batting 378. Pretty, pretty big difference. And let's and let's not forget that he's played 48 games out of, out of leadoff and only 10 out of the out of the two hole. That's a pretty big difference. And maybe that trends into the three hole. I don't know. That's just my personal thoughts, and that's where. I'm I'm just trying to see if the Cardinals can find some kind of way to get this offense consistent. And as long as the pitching is consistent, I think they still have a shot at the playoffs. That's why that's why I'm surprised that at your 20%, 30% mark, Nathan. But I can understand it. Trevor, is Juan ever going to hit higher than eighth? I wouldn't do it this season. Um, I uh, I recently had a whole debate with uh, Larry, another one of our writers, about this, and I took the side of of not to get too excited about Wong. Um, he is having a, a career year this year, like it's the best year to date, and he he's pretty young, so he could just be progressing. Um, and you know, you can make the argument based off this year that he should move up in the lineup. But my biggest thing about him is that he just he's he hasn't been consistent. He's shown flashes of this before, um, and you talk about his walk rate. Uh, the one number that I would I would 
warned you about with his walk rate. Eight of his walks this year are intentional, and prior to this year, he has he's had seven intentional walks. So it's not like that. You know, people are afraid of him. He's getting walked because he's in the eight hole. Um, so that that really attacks his walk rate, which is just a small part of what you guys were talking about. Um, but it still it still plays a part to where it. I don't know how well he's working the count, or if it's as good as people think it is, just based on the, on the numbers they see. Um, so I would. I would not be a fan of Wong moving up past the eight hole. I think he's doing very well out of there. I don't, I don't know if you want to mess with that. That's another thing. So it would be very interesting, but for the most part, I just want to see if he can stay healthy. I mean, I know he's had two separate issues and that, that causes kind of a, um, an issue of durability with him. Yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned the intentional walks. Most of the time though, you know, they say in baseball you're getting walked because they do fear you. And because he's hitting so well, you know, that might be the reason why he gets the intentional walks. Now I would put course, I would put more money on it the fact that he's eight and the pitchers behind him. Sure, yeah, no, and that's where I was gonna go. Was that, you know, we all know NL strategy is that the pitcher has to bat, so that's probably why he's getting the intentional walk. So yeah, to your point, the intentional walks do kind of raise it kind of a yellow flag, but I will say, if you guys are listening right now to the official Redbird Rants podcast, go check out the slideshow put up by Trevor and Larry. Larry's another one of our writers. He's done an awesome job since coming on. Go check that article out. It's a slideshow piece. It's got some great stuff, and they do debate Colton Wong and his future with the team. Guys, we've got about four minutes left, and I want to have just a fun discussion on what your favorite MLB park to visit is besides Bush Stadium. Nathan, let's start with you. Well, I was able to actually be at Cardinals opening day last season in 2016, and that was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at PNC Park. It was the first time I had been to PNC Park, and I have to say it lived up to all of the expectations that people give it around the country. It's you know, constantly ranked as one of the highest ballparks across the country. Beautiful view right by the river. You've got downtown right across the river, Roberto Clemente Bridge. Uh, really enjoyed myself. Hopefully I'll be going back soon. Trevor? Uh, I had the chance to visit Fenway Park, and that is amazing. I mean, it's old, but as soon as you walk in, the green stadium really just gets you. If you're a baseball fan, you are instantly in love with the park. I mean, it, I, I hope I get to go back too, man. I loved it there. I've been fortunate to also visit PNC Park, Nathan, and I will tell you that it is my favorite outside of Bush Stadium. It's one of the better ballparks that I've seen. And I'll tell you, the way I describe it to people is that it makes you feel like you're in a little league field, but it's obviously the major leagues. Um, And that has no sway because of my favorite baseball player, Roberto Clemente. But – That being said, we've got about a minute left. I just want to say thank you to both of you guys for joining me on the podcast. And thank you to all our listeners out there. If you get a chance, remember to follow Nathan, myself, and Trevor on Twitter. And make sure you go on redbirdrants.com to check out all the articles all our authors are putting out. My name is Tito Rivera, and I'm going to say so long for tonight. Guys, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody, you guys have a good night, and we'll see you later. Good job. You're off the air. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> nice job, Tito. Thank you. Really great.
Yeah, too bad uh, Trevor dropped right there at the end, but you guys oh, no. were really, really great. So thank you guys. Awesome. Yeah, it awesome. sounded great. I thought. I, yeah, I'll write up the quick uh, recap. I'll just follow the model you've been using, Tito. So I'll try to get yeah. that in tonight. Yeah, no great. worries. One of us can get it out there tomorrow. We'll have the awesome. Just put a place again for a link, and we'll be able to slap the link in there. Cool. Um, quick question: When you had the spot where you had a link for all of our previous episodes, I just googled Redbird Ranch podcast, and I found it on um, this one website. But I know we're on iTunes. Um, should I just link the iTunes thing? Because I wasn't able to find like individual episode by episode like Tito had been doing. Yes, I think w- the way you did it was fine, but I mean, I think okay. it was cool too. I, I didn't even, I, okay. I keep, I always forget about iTunes. Yeah, that's the okay. beauty of having, having us through Blog Talk is that they it puts us directly into iTunes. Awesome. Yeah, that that'll be fine, Nathan. Yeah, if you want to do both, link us to iTunes or and put it on there. I mean, that's fine with me. All right, we'll do. Okay. All right. Um, I'm good. Thanks. All right. I'm hitting end. We'll see you. Hang up on you guys. See ya. (laughs) All right. See you guys.